Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent. Today's episode is sponsored by the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's available in paperback, as a Kindle ebook, and an audiobook. And in fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com when you sign up with Audible for the first 30 days. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. Today's episode is entitled, What If Your Script Sucks and How to Fix It? Part 1. <laughs> One of the great freedoms that all of us possess is the ability to write a story. And story is king in filmmaking. It's not the camera, it's not the new drone, it still remains story as the most vital aspect of filmmaking, or I should clarify, filmmaking as a means of storytelling. And because today's indie filmmakers have way more access to some of the most amazing tools right now, we sometimes just rush into production without really having a good script worked out, especially if you're trying to make a narrative or a traditional narrative short film or a feature film. Now, I don't have the most amazing equipment, but I have enough equipment to make a feature film that looks good and doesn't deter from the storytelling process. My feature film, The Cube, which was shot for $500 without a crew, was my experiment in seeing if I could make a feature narrative for that little. So for my next feature narrative, I didn't want to leave the world of the ridiculously low micro-budget films just yet. I want to see if I can tell a better story within those parameters. But here lies the problem. The writing process is painful. <laughs> so I'm here today to commiserate with every writer and filmmaker who's worked so hard to try to create a really good story only to share it with somebody or a handful of people and it just falls flat. So I'm only human and when you get that sort of reaction, I is, I'm assuming that some of you have already had those types of experiences, it, it feels awful. It just sucks. <laughs> Because you start questioning everything, you start doubting yourself, maybe throwing a little pity party, but you start asking yourself things like, why am I doing this? Maybe, maybe I don't have any talent, and just like just cursing yourself like, this sucks, sucks, sucks. And you go through this roller coaster of emotions, and then you need some time away from it just to get like perspective, and then you have to get back to work. And you have to realize, maybe it's not personal, even though it totally feels like it's personal, but professionals get back up and they do the work. And so doing the work means working the problem. Why is the story not working? And I have to look at it as it's no longer my story, but it's the story. So today I'll be sharing with you my new script in its full glory. And the goal is to be transparent about the creative process. And part one is to expose the problems, which is the script itself. And part two is about working on fixing the problems. If you listen to podcast episode number 105 with Disney and Pixar screenwriter Rob Edwards, you've heard me ask specific questions about how the Pixar brain trust meetings work. And if you're not familiar with this brain trust uh, collaboration that Pixar puts on together, it's essentially all the top creatives get together on every Pixar story that is being developed to have these meetings where they try to make the story better. They try to make the story great. By Pixar's own admittance, every Pixar film is terrible at one point. So like us, they're only human, and they do find themselves at moments when the story isn't working. But unlike the Hollywood studio process, where a screenwriter will receive notes from all sorts of studio suits that may have no bearing to the overall story and vision, 
and where those notes are expected to make it into the next drafts? Well, Pixar works differently. Whoever is the creative leads for that particular project in Pixar will present the story to the Brain Trust, which in, <laughs> actually in consists of all the other directors and writers from the other teams. Like, can you imagine being in a room where you get to share your story idea, what you're working on, and in front of you is, you know, the creative team, the creative leads that made Finding Nemo, that made Toy Story, that made, you know, Up, and um, the latest one, Inside Out. I mean, that's a little intimidating. But at the same time, it's invigorating because you get the best brains on your project. So what's different is that whatever exchange of ideas happen in those meetings, the creative team presenting, the one who's showing the work, they actually don't have to implement any of the ideas. There is no mandate to in- implement any of those notes. But it's the candid discussion about working the problem, what's working for the story, what's not working for the story, where that conversation can lead to breakthroughs. Anyway, there's more to the brain trust structure than that, so I recommend going back and listening to Rob Edwards talk about it in episode number 105. But here's what's cool. This stuff is free, and all of us can do this for our own projects. I mean, I just wrote a new script, and I know it's not working 100% yet, so in part two, you'll see that I form my own brain trust group, and I will workshop my script with them. And you'll get to see all of this happen live in the following podcast episode. My goal is for you to feel like you're not alone in your creative struggles, (laughs) that the creative process is messy, and that sometimes it's not a place to think about marketing or sales or distribution, etc. It's about a place only to think about what's in front of you, and that's the story. Fixing the story, working on the story, making it better. And just because you can make a movie right now and you have the equipment to do so, maybe you shouldn't. Not until your script is 100% there. So what you're about to hear is my script. And I've been wanting to do this for a long time. It's just taken me a long time to get the script in shape where I'm comfortable enough to share it. And so we all have the freedom to write a story. And we all have a freedom to organize our own brain trust group. And now we all have the freedom to put our script into an audio presentation. And that's what you're about to hear now. I've taken the time to narrate my script, acting out all the parts the best I could adding in music and sound effects to create a cinematic world of sound that best communicates my vision without having to shoot one single frame yet. Now that I have my script in this format, it should read like a movie. It should feel like a movie. And I should be able to identify the pacing problems, the story moments that are working and that aren't working. And I want you to imagine if you came across this film on Netflix and after you watch it, what would you think? What kind of a reaction would you have? We've all watched films and said to ourselves, man, that film fell short in this area, or it could have done this instead, or I was hoping the film would be more like this. By creating this audio format, much like the Blacklist Table Reads does for their podcasts, where they record and perform the best of Hollywood screenplays that haven't been produced yet, anyway, this process of editing the audio presentation was very much like editing the whole film without picture. Even though I know my story needs work, I'm still very excited to share this format with you because maybe you could do the same for your work before you ever shoot a single frame of film or (laughs) record a single frame of digital, you know, footage. And when you're done, maybe it could be used to get people excited about your story. So without further ado, here is the logline for the story you're about to hear. In this paranormal thriller, A 12-year-old girl alone in her house must connect with her dead twin sister to help fight off a vengeful spirit before it possesses her. 
please enjoy the audio presentation. Almost like watching a movie itself, but keep in mind all the things that you would have fixed in the story, just like you would be watching anything on Netflix. And then join me for part two, where we put the brain trust concept to work in making this story better. Thanks for listening and enjoy the audio presentation for my new movie, Ada. And now, our feature presentation. Ada, written by Scott McMahon, based on true events. Exterior hanging tree night. A tree, a gnarled, creepy tree. The kind of tree that is perfect for hanging someone. On teenagers. A group of teenagers stand on a grassy hillside across from the hanging tree. There are five teenagers total. Three girls, Lauren, 16, Heather, 16, and Rebecca, 15. Two boys, Dylan, 17, and Grant, 16. On hanging tree. Heather moves towards the tree and softly says, Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. She swallows nervously and continues. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Heather looks out into the darkness, then rears back to look up the long tree. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Heather's point of view. Something in the shadows catches her eye. She turns and runs back towards her friends, nervously. Okay, I did it! Lauren to Dylan. You're so mean. Dylan. What? It was a dare. That's the game. Lauren responds. You know that stuff freaks her out. Dylan. Oh, come on. It's harmless. Besides, she's got a badge of courage now. Grant chimes in. Courage isn't taunting the dead. Dylan reacts with a soft pfft. Heather returns to the group. She says, All right, I did it. Grant. Now you just have to survive the night. Heather responds, What? Grant, I think that's how it works. You summon Ada's ghost, so she'll either get you or she won't. Lauren interjects, Well, that's reassuring. Heather, Okay, just survive the night. Got it. To Dylan, Now it's your turn. Dylan, back to Heather, Um, okay. I dare you to kiss me. Lauren balks, Nice try. It doesn't work that way. Lauren pulls Heather to the side and whispers in her ear, The girls return. Heather says, I dare you to kiss Grant. The girls hoot. Lauren to Dylan. Let's see who has courage now. Dylan responds. Um, no. Heather says, Oh, it's a dare. I just said the Ada Jones chant. Now it's your turn. Grant interjects. Do I get a say in this? The girls. No. Grant responds sarcastically. Awesome. Dylan. Okay, fine. Pucker up, big boy. This is going to be the best kiss you'll ever get. Dylan grabs for Grant. Lauren says, Wait, did you see that? Rebecca, What? Heather, I saw it too. The teenagers look out towards the hanging tree. Dylan, You guys didn't see anything. Heather, Seriously, there's something out there. Lauren, To the boys, Go check it out. Grant, Uh, what? Lauren, Come on, protect us. Dylan responds, You're totally lying. Fine, We'll go out there and prove it's nothing. Grant replies, What do you mean, we? Lauren exclaims, There it is again. Heather, I saw it too. Rebecca, Where? The boys step forward. Silence. Boo! Lauren and Heather scare the boys from behind, while Lauren takes a photo of the moment with her phone. Grant, in a high-pitched scream, Ah! Dylan, (laughs) I knew you two were full of it. Grant, 
Oh, it's so sad. That's the sound I make when I'm scared. We pull back from the teenagers and onto the dark, shadowy brush behind the hanging tree. Rebecca, off screen. Wait, was there something there or not? Dissolve to. Interior, Heather's bedroom. Night. Heather moves from the bathroom to the bedroom with a toothbrush in her mouth. She gets a text from Lauren. Lauren's text. This is scary. A few seconds later, a photo of Dylan and Grant appears on Heather's phone. Heather's text. What's with Dylan's nose? Question mark. LOL. On closet door. Heather's closet door is slightly ajar. She closes it. Heather's text. Hike try on? Question mark. Wednesday? Question mark. Lauren's text. Can't. Thursday? Question mark. Heather grabs a pen from her desk and checks the calendar on the wall. Calendar reads October 2015. Heather's text. That works. The closet door is ajar again. Heather walks over to the closet door. She slides it open to check the rollers. Nothing. She closes the door again. From phone. Ding! Lauren's text. This is weird. Look in the background. Heather's phone pulsates the signal that an image is coming. On closet door. It's open again. A faint creak, creak, creak sound, almost as if something is being screwed into wood, can be heard in the distance. Heather walks over to the closet door and slowly opens it wider. It's pitch black. Heather peers into the corner. It looks like there is something moving in the corner. Heather shines a light from her phone into the closet. Nothing. Heather slides the door closed and walks away. On Heather. The closet door slides all the way open behind her. Heather turns, eyes wide. On darkness. There is a faint image of someone standing in the corner of the closet. Heather is frozen in fear. She attempts to scream, but a hand slams over her mouth. Cut to black. Exterior, darkened forest, night. Heather awakes to find herself on a trail in a darkened forest. She turns around. A blackened void creeps up on her. The black void emits a foreboding growl. Part of the void wraps around Heather's arm like some kind of sticky goo. The black goo yanks Heather's arm back. She breaks free and falls forward. Heather turns the other way to see a small church up ahead on a hilltop. Heather starts running towards the church. Heather. Help! The trail begins to disappear as the trees move in closer. From out behind the trees, ghastly-looking children with veins protruding from their skin lunge out at Heather. Heather, screaming. Ah, ah, ah. The children grab at Heather. She fights to break free from their grasp. Heather punches through the thickened brush and falls onto the edge of the trail. Heather's point of view. She looks up to see the church. The doors of the church open. Slowly, a large, frumpy girl wearing a white doll mask with pigtails comes walking out of the church. This is Ada. Ada marches down the trail towards Heather. Heather pulls herself up off the ground and darts back down the trail, running away from Ada. The black void envelops the forest in front of Heather. She stops. Ada is upon her, on hand. Ada raises what looks like a large corkscrew. Heather's eyes widen. Match cut to Heather's bedroom. 
Heather's eyes are covered by a gnarled gray hand. She kicks violently. Her screams are muffled. Her phone falls to the floor. On phone, Lauren's photo is sent. In the background of the selfie is a faint image of Ada standing behind the hanging tree. On ceiling light, Heather is silenced. Dissolve to on ceiling light. The shadows have changed along the ceiling. Interior, Sarah's bedroom, night. Sarah Jacobs, 12, is on the ground, wheezing. Sarah tries to pull herself up off the ground. She grabs for her backpack, rummages through the pockets, finds what she's been looking for, her inhaler. Sarah takes in two deep puffs. She coughs. We pull back from Sarah, sitting on the ground. The bedroom is the exact same room as Heather's, but the furniture and decor have changed. Bathroom. Sarah stumbles into her bathroom. She plugs in the nebulizer. She grabs the liquid medicine container and pours it into the cup attachment. On medicine container, Sarah places the container in front of a jar of cream. It slightly obscures the jar. Back on Sarah, she wraps the mask around her face and turns on the machine. Sarah sits on the floor, clenches her chest, takes slow, deep breaths. On drawer, Sarah fumbles through the drawer to find a journal. She glances at the digital clock on the counter. She writes, Attack, 2.37 a.m. The journal is dated October 2016. Bathroom. Sarah's father, Bill Jacobs, 40, comes running into the bathroom. His hair is a mess, bags under his eyes. Bill. Oh my God, are you okay? Sarah's mother, Melissa Jacobs, 38, comes in soon after. Melissa. I didn't even hear her. Bill. I didn't either. I heard the machine start up. Melissa kneels down beside Sarah. Melissa. Are you okay? Sarah points to her chest. Melissa pulls Sarah's shirt halfway up. On scar. There's a large vertical scar that runs up Sarah's chest. Melissa. It's flared up. Can you hand me the Keloid cream? Bill. Where is it? Melissa. Should be in the bottom drawer. Bill searches the bottom drawer. Melissa leans in to help look. On Sarah, she looks up towards the countertop. The jar of cream suddenly slides across the edge all by itself. Sarah's eyes widen. Bill, oh, here it is. Bill grabs a jar off the counter and hands it to Melissa. Melissa applies the cream to Sarah's scar. Melissa, is that better? Sarah nods. Melissa continues, not burning? Sarah begins to cry a bit. Melissa kisses Sarah on the head. We move into Sarah's eyes. Match cut to, on Sarah, a flashlight shines in her eyes. Interior, psychologist's office day. Sarah's eyes move side to side. She follows the fingers of Dr. Schrader. Dr. Schrader, I want you to think of the time you walked downstairs. Sarah, okay. Dr. Schrader, keep your eyes on my fingers. You're approaching the room. What do you see? Sarah, door was open. Dr. Schrader, go on. Keep following my fingers. Sarah, I could see her lying in bed. Dr. Schrader, did you hear her call out? Sarah, holding back tears. No. Waiting room. 
Bill and Melissa sit outside. Melissa wears a Bluetooth earpiece and types fiercely on her laptop. Bill slouches in his chair, reading a trashy romance novel. Psychologist's office. Dr. Schrader and Sarah sit on exercise balls. Sarah bounces slightly on hers. Dr. Schrader. Your sister. We haven't talked about her in a while. Sarah. Yeah? Dr. Schrader. Do you feel any different today than the last time we spoke? Sarah. I don't know. Dr. Schrader gives Sarah a look. Sarah continues. I mean, I still don't know why it has to be me. I don't know why I have to be special. I don't want to be special. Not in that way, you know. Dr. Schrader. I understand. Then almost sinister-like, Dr. Schrader says, Why do you get to live? Sarah gasps. Dr. Schrader continues. Sarah? Sarah collects herself. Later, doctor's waiting room office. Sarah waits outside of Dr. Schrader's office. An old woman sits across from Sarah. Sarah's parents meet with Dr. Schrader. Dr. Schrader. She's making progress, but it'll take more time to deal with those images that are stored in her memory. At least she's beginning to separate how her physical body reacts to those memories. Bill. That's good, right? Isn't it? Dr. Schrader. We talked about Rose again. Melissa. What does she say? Dr. Schrader. She's very self-aware of what happened and has unfortunately placed a heavy burden on herself from it. Melissa. But she knows it's not her fault. Dr. Schrader. The fact that she feels so strongly about it means that your daughter is an empathetic soul. Waiting room. Sarah leans over her chair. She tries to listen in on the conversation. Sarah turns around. A pile of magazines has fallen off the table and onto the feet of the old woman. Sarah rushes over to help pick up the magazines. Old woman. Bless your heart. Sarah looks up. From behind the old woman, the remaining pile of magazines on the table are about to fall off when they get pushed back up onto the table, all by themselves. Old woman continues. Thank you, dear. Sarah smiles and finishes stacking the magazines onto the table. Psychologist's office. Melissa. What about this week, with her being alone after school? Dr. Schrader. I think she'll be fine. It's only for a week until the after-school program starts up, correct? Bill. Yes. Dr. Schrader. You live in a safe neighborhood. She should be fine. Just go over the checklist with her. It'll provide some structure and security. Interior. Car. Day. Sarah sits in the back, staring out the window. Melissa and Bill are in the front. Bill drives. Melissa, into her phone. The secondary reports need to be vetted by ops. New line, new line. Quarterly earnings haven't been posted yet. Send. Bill, into his phone. Dude, I'll be home in 15, period. Just meet me there, period. Bring the thermal, period. Sarah. Mom? Melissa. One sec. Back into phone. Karen thinks Marty won't sign off on it, period. New line, new line. Email me the specs, period. Send. Back to Sarah. Yes, honey? Sarah. What happened to Grandma? Melissa and Bill give each other a look. Melissa. No, this is good. Uh, Grandma? I think Grandma missed your Grandpa very much after he passed away, and she was very sad. Sarah. No, I get that. I know she was sad, but what happened to her when she... You know. Melissa. Well... Bill interrupts. It's called rigor mortis. Awkward silence. 
Exterior, hanging tree, day. The Jacobs drive past the hanging tree. It's right next to their house. The Jacobs pull into their driveway. Bob, 42, waits in the driveway by his car. He follows the Jacobs car into the garage holding a box. Interior, exterior, garage, day. The door pulls open, flooding the garage with the light from the outside. The Jacobs car pulls into the garage. Interior, garage, day. Bill and Bob pop out from behind a stack of unpacked moving boxes. Both of them have LED lights strapped around their heads. They fumble over themselves trying to set up various electronic equipment. Bill, this goes over here. Bob, there, I think. Bill and Bob tangle their electronic cables. Sarah watches them botch the setup. Sarah, Mom says you and Uncle Bob are complete dorks for wasting weekends chasing ghosts. Bill, well, your mom married a dork, so that makes her a dork lover. Sarah, everyone makes mistakes. Bill is stone-faced. Bob, matter-of-factly, I'm not married. Sarah, you're just a dork. Bob, registered and computed. Sarah pulls an old radio to her side. Sarah, what do you guys use this for? Bob, it's a ghost box. Sarah, a ghost box? Bob, it's a communication device that interpolates the open frequencies of the radio waves from... Bill interrupts. It's supposed to talk to spirits from the other side. Bob, excitedly, this is our EMF detector, our digital audio recorder, our night vision camera, and our brand new thermal camera. Bob hands the thermal camera to Sarah. He switches it on for Sarah and points the camera towards Bill. Bob continues, your dad is a terrestrial being who registers a body heat of 98 degrees. Bill, it means I'm hot. Bob, actually all human species run at the standard temperature of 98 degrees. Bill shaking his head, it's a joke, Bob, a joke. Although I know what kind of girl we need to find you. Bill speaks in a robot voice. It's imperative that we converse in a dwelling where other humans will be consuming appropriate levels of fermented grapes. Sarah laughs. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen a ghost move anything? Bill. No. Well, to Bob. Does Cathedral Park count? Bob. Only one source, and it was an eyewitness, and it was Paul's eye, so I can't be corroborated, so... Bill interrupts. So, no, not yet. Have you? Sarah. Reluctantly, no. Bill leans down to level a tripod and connects some wires to one of the other cameras. Bill, to Bob, anything? Bob, no, it remains inoperable. Sarah walks past the men and over to the breaker box. On breaker box. Sarah flips one of the switches back to the on position. Back to Bill and Bob. The equipment powers up. Bill and Bob, ah. Sarah, remember, it gets tripped all the time. She pulls the ghost box closer to her. Sarah continues. Is a ghost box like a Ouija board? Both talk to ghosts? Bill. Not exactly. Let's see. Bill places his hands on the ghost box. Bill continues. This is like a scanner, and the box is like a force field. Bill slides a piece of cardboard next to the ghost box. He scribbles some quick symbols onto the cardboard. Bill continues. With a Ouija board, you don't have the force field anymore. You become a conduit for whatever is on the other side. It might be something that is benevolent, or it might be something that is malevolent. Sarah. Benev... Bill intercuts. Benevolent is something that is good, and malevolent is... Sarah. Something that is bad. Bill. Right. Bill grabs a small mirror and places it next to the cardboard square. Bill continues. And then there's the wish, or the dare, like saying Bloody Mary into the mirror three times. Bob. Or, more relevant, saying the Ada Jones chant. Sarah. What's the Ada Jones chant? Bill gives Bob a sharp look. Bob. 
She doesn't know? Bill. No, but now that you brought it up, go ahead. Bob. Um, yes. Celtic polytheism, or as you may know it as paganism, was historically steeped in human sacrifice. With this sacrifice, the use of animism built in her cuts. Bob to Sarah. If you say the Ada Jones chant underneath a tree, it's like a dare. You're taunting her ghost to come in. Sarah. And what? Bill. Getcha. Have lunch with you. Play patty cake. Sarah. Why a tree? Bob. They hung her. On a tree. Bill can tell that Sarah is still confused. Bill. Ada Jones lived around here a long time ago, during the pioneer days. She did some very bad things before they caught her and hung her. Bob. They failed to properly dispose of her remains in a fashion that would prevent a vengeful spirit from manifesting. Bill. Her spirit lives within the trees. Sarah. So trees are bad? Bill. No, they're conduits, like nature's great lightning rod to the underworld. Sometimes they're connected to good spirits, other times to bad spirits. Sarah. Has anyone ever died from these things? Bill. No, I don't know. I, I don't think so. You're not thinking of using any of them, are you? Because if anything happened to you, your mom would kill me. Sarah. What if you used all three things at once? Bob and Bill stop cold in their tracks. Bob walks away. Bob. I cannot compute. Bill hesitates. Don't know. Don't want to know. Just use the ghost box for now. Force field. Remember? Sarah pulls the ghost box closer to her. Interior house day. Sarah enters the house from the garage holding the ghost box. Melissa, on earpiece. I agree. It's totally inefficient, but Tom wants us all there. Okay. See you tomorrow. Melissa motions to Sarah. Sarah places the ghost box down on the counter. Melissa hands Sarah a clipboard and follows her mom to the front door. Melissa continues. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. See you tomorrow. Ends call. Jeez. Okay. Where were we? All right. Clipboard. Um, when you get home, push pound 2727. Lock the door behind you. The spare key is located underneath. Sarah interjects. Underneath the mat. Melissa. You'll get a copy once your dad makes more copies. And remind me to tell him that he needs to get one of those hidden lock boxes as soon as possible. Um, okay, I don't need to show you how to use the TV. You already know how to do that. Oh, do you know about the breaker box? Sarah, I just showed Dad how to use it. Melissa, good. I'm glad an adult knows how to use that thing. Melissa looks over the checklist on the clipboard. Melissa continues. I'll make sure he brings down the nebulizer and places it into the kitchen every morning. I don't want you to have to walk up the stairs in case of emergency like last night. Are you sure you can do this? Sarah, yes. I'll be fine. Exterior house. Bob reverses his car down the long driveway. Bill is at the end of the driveway, guiding Bob all the way down to the street. Bob manages to go over the curb and knock over the Jacobs garbage bins. Bill. Perfect. Bill reaches through Bob's window to give him a high five. See you at work tomorrow? Bob nods and then drives off. On Bill. We move into Bill when a dog runs past him. Dog owner. Off screen. Cookie! Cookie! Get back here! Bill's point of view. An elderly woman comes down the hill holding an empty dog leash. Back on Bill. He runs after the dog. Interior downstairs. Sarah follows her mom as she walks downstairs. Melissa. Could you water the bonsai tree when you get home? Sarah. Okay. Melissa. Just make sure that the soil doesn't get dry. On bonsai tree. Melissa inspects the soil of the small tree. Melissa. Could use some water now. We move into Sarah. Sarah's point of view. We push closer into the entrance to the downstairs bedroom. Downstairs bedroom, night, flashback. 
we follow Sarah as she slowly makes her way into the bedroom. From up over her shoulders, we see the bed. Then, back on Sarah, Melissa, Sarah! Sarah snaps out of her trance. Melissa continues, Sweetie, are you okay? Sarah, huh? Melissa looks back at the door. Melissa, what was I thinking? Sarah, I'm okay. Melissa, we can always have you stay at the summit with the other kids. Sarah, I'm fine. I was, I was just working on some of the things Dr. Schrader was teaching me. Melissa gives Sarah a doting look. Sarah continues, Mom, stop. I'll be fine. Melissa's not convinced. Sarah, Mom, I'm fine. Melissa, are you scared of starting this new school? Sarah, insisting, Mom, really, I'm fine. I'm not scared. Melissa, all right. <sighs> Let's find where that water doohickey thing is. Storage room. Melissa opens a door and flips the light on in the storage room. Sarah falls behind. The storage room is a long, thin concrete room that wraps around the corner. Melissa and Sarah turn the corner. Melissa reaches for the light to the back end of the storage room. She turns the light on. Melissa. Ah! A ghoulish figure with a white mask stands before the girls. It's just a Halloween costume. Melissa continues. Your father. I'm going to kill him. Melissa pushes the costume to the side. Sarah's point of view. An old chest with a locked latch sits along the back side of the storage room. Sarah. What's that? Melissa. What's what? Sarah. The box. Melissa. One of your grandmother's things. Sarah. What's inside? Melissa. You know, I don't know. We couldn't find the key to it. Sarah. Can you just cut the lock? Melissa. Um, yeah, I suppose we could. Sarah gives her mom a look. Melissa. Now? Sarah shrugs her shoulders. Cut to exterior hanging tree. Bill catches up to the dog. The dog is underneath the hanging tree, digging up the dirt. Bill. Hey, come here, you mangy mutt. Bill wrangles the dog toward him, grabs the collar. Dog owner. Thank you. To the dog. Bad, girl, bad. Bill. It's okay. Probably just need to keep her on the leash. Dog owner. You're the new homeowners. Bill. Somewhat new. Dog owner. I'm so sorry to hear what happened. What's that now? Two deaths within a year? Bill, taken aback. Something like that. Dog owner. You know what they say, it always comes in threes. The dog takes off running down the hill. Running after dog. Cookie! Cookie! Bill. What a dick. Bill stands alone underneath the tree. He looks down. Back to storage room. Melissa stands over the old chest with a pair of bolt cutters wrapped around the small lock. Melissa, here we go. Melissa grits her teeth. <laughs> the small lock snaps. Melissa and Sarah kneel down to open the chest. Old chest. A collection of old photos and letters are placed inside. Melissa, look how young your grandpa was here. Sarah flips through the photographs. Melissa continues. I don't think I've ever seen these before. Sarah digs deeper underneath the pile of photos and letters. She finds a small book. Underneath the small book is a pouch. On pouch, Sarah pulls out a crystal that hangs from a leather string. Sarah, did Grandma wear this? Melissa, looking it over, no, I'm not sure what your grandma had that for. Melissa gets up and returns to the other side of the storage room. Sarah looks over the crystal. Cut to exterior hanging tree. Bill inspects a large branch on the ground with his foot. He looks up, Bill's point of view. One of the main tree branches is broken off. Back to storage room. 
At the back part of the old chest, there's a bend to the panel. Sarah begins to pull at the panel. It gives way a bit. Cut to hanging tree. Bill moves to the back of the tree. He bends down. Something small falls on his head. Bill jumps back. He looks down to see a dead squirrel. Then, he looks closer to find a dozen dead squirrels strewn all over the dirt. Back to storage room. Sarah struggles to pull the panel back. It pops off. There's an old cloth folded along the back part of the chest. Melissa. Here it is. Melissa holds up the watering can. Melissa continues. Come on, let's go. Sarah closes the panel to hide the cloth from her mother. Sarah grabs a small book and crystal, tucks both items into her pocket. Sarah closes the old chest. Exterior house night. A storm brews outside. Sarah's bedroom. Rain pounds against the window. Sarah lies in her bed, reading the small book she found in her grandmother's chest. Ghost box. The ghost box sits upon Sarah's desk. It is turned on, nothing but static, creating white noise, drowning out the storm. On small book. The contents of the book contain old Celtic writing and engravings. A hand-drawn illustration depicts a person asleep or dead. Concentric circles are drawn around this person. In each circle are the words, CR Beyond Touch, Seal. On Sarah, Sarah types in the word, CR Beyond Touch, on phone. It's translated as, Eternity or Existence. Sarah, to herself, Seal, Keel. She types in the word, the translation pops up, Sarah, Death. Hallway. Bill scans the hallway with a thermal camera. Master bedroom. Bill continues his scan into the bedroom. He flips around the corner and aims the camera towards the walk-in closet. Melissa is packing a carry-on suitcase while sitting on the floor of the closet. Bill adjusts the settings on the camera to get a better reading from Melissa's heat emissions. Bill, you're hot. Melissa gives a half-interested response. The TV is on in the background. TV scientist number one. We've been able to clone cattle from the tissue itself. TV host. If scientists are able to clone and develop a full-grown organism from the living tissue of its original host, then where does the soul come from? Do clones have a soul? TV scientist number two. Natural clonings occur all the time. They're called twins. So we can deduce that each twin has their own soul, just as our lab-grown clones have a soul as well. Melissa walks into the room and places her hand over the thermal camera. Melissa, towards the TV. Would you please turn that off? Bill turns the TV off. Bill, sorry. Melissa returns to the walk-in closet. Bill follows. Bill continues. I wonder if they could have cloned Rose. Melissa gathers herself. Can I ask you something? Bill, reluctantly. Yes. Melissa, do you think you do these ghost hunting trips because you're looking for Rose? Bill, I don't know. I never really thought about it before. Melissa, do you know I have one job as a mother? That's to make sure my only surviving daughter has a childhood and not be someone who has to recover from their childhood? And I'm failing. Bill, what are you talking about? Melissa, she's only 12 and she's been in therapy half her life. What kind of childhood am I giving her? Bill, I get it. It sucks that she's been in therapy, but it's better than not being treated at all. It was your initiative that got her in early so she wouldn't be messed up when she got older. Hell, I wouldn't even have thought to do any of this on my own. I would just let her bury her experiences deep down inside like I was taught. Sarah's bedroom. 
The ghost box continues to bring in static. Sarah continues to read, when... Filials. Sarah's eyes widen. Sarah grabs for her inhaler. Master bedroom. Melissa. Do you know that she froze again when we were downstairs? I had to snap her out of it. She's not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. Bill. She can do this. You can do this. Melissa. Frustrated. Damn it, I forgot. Can you pick up her inhaler refills at the pharmacy? Bill. Okay. Bill tries to help fold Melissa's bras and underwear. Melissa. Would you please focus? Bill. I am. Listen, what are we going to do? We've been dealt a crappy hand. People are dealt crappy hands all the time. But it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about getting hit and moving forward. Melissa. Are you quoting Rocky to me? Bill. Is that where it's from? Melissa rolls her eyes. Bill continues. Seriously, there's nothing we could have done. Our kids were conjoined and Rose was completely underdeveloped. We had to separate them. There wasn't a malicious plan to it. We're not bad people. We're not bad parents. Melissa. Are we? Bill. Stop that. And your mom. I mean, we could have seen that coming. If we would have known she was going to die when we first moved in here, we would have just stayed in the old house. Melissa. She's the second person to die in this house. Bill. Yes, well, we don't know for sure what happened, but it got us a great deal in the house. Melissa. The house that we're stuck with. We can never get our money back out now. Melissa leans back, rubs her eyes, exhausted. Melissa continues. I just hate that Sarah was the one who found Mom. Found her like that. Sarah's bedroom. Sarah is transfixed on the ghost box. Sarah's breathing intensifies. Slaughter! Master bedroom. I'm telling you, you don't have to worry about Sarah. She's got your sass. Think she's a lot tougher than we think. Sarah bursts into the bedroom. Dad, the box. Bill, what? Melissa, what's wrong? Sarah, there was something in the box. Sarah's bedroom. Bill, Melissa, and Sarah stand next to the ghost box. Nothing but static. Then... R42. Friend of Benner on... The incoming sound dies out. Bill, it's just the police frequency, sweetheart. Melissa whacks the back of Bill's head. Melissa, what were you thinking? Melissa grabs the ghost box and shoves it into Bill's stomach. Melissa takes Sarah out of the room. Sarah grabs a small book before her mom can drag her out. Master bedroom. Melissa, if you ever want to protect yourself against idiot boys, just whack him upside their head. Melissa drags Sarah over to the king-sized bed. Bill returns to the bedroom. Bill, rubbing his head. I'm sorry. Melissa, I could kill you. Melissa walks back towards the closet. Bill, to Sarah. If you really want to protect yourself from boys, just give them a good kick right here in the prize jewels. Go ahead. Give it a try. Sarah stands up and tries to kick her dad in the prized area. Sarah. Dad? Sarah stops herself. Bill. Yeah? Sarah. I don't think it was police frequency. Bill. I'll take another listen, okay? Now get into bed. Bill tucks in Sarah. He pulls a small book out from underneath her. Bill continues. Where'd you get this? Sarah, Grandma's old box downstairs. Bill, hmm, looks like the book she got at the occult store. Sarah, Grandma was in a cult? Bill, no, not a cult, an occult store. It's like a magic store with old books, magic tricks, crystals, stuff like that. Bill flips to the book. Bill, you can read this? Sarah, I've just been using the translator on my phone. Bill, what's it say? Sarah, it says it's Celtic? Bill, there's nothing in here I should be worried about, is there? Sarah, I haven't got too far into it. Bill, 
Okay, I'm trusting you that there's nothing inappropriate. No horny leprechauns. Sarah, what? Bill, never mind. Just sleep, sleep. But be warned, I snore. Melissa returns to the bedroom from the walk-in closet. Melissa, off screen. Just kick him in the prize jewels if he does. Bill, to Sarah. I told you she'd kill me. Bill boops Sarah's nose. Later. Melissa and Bill sleep on the sides of the bed. Sarah sleeps in the middle. Bill snores. Sarah opens her eyes. She listens as the storm intensifies. Sarah's point of view. In an almost vortex-like dream, a dark figure creeps towards the end of the bed from the closet. Sarah is transfixed. The dark figure creeps closer. An awful howling sound crescendos. Sarah ducks under the covers and tramples. Underneath the covers, Sarah tries to control her breathing. The covers rip off. Melissa hovers over Sarah. Melissa, you okay? Sarah sits up. The dark figure is gone. Sarah, bad dream. Bill is in a deep sleep, snoring his guts out. Melissa gives Sarah a look. Sarah rears back and kicks Bill off the bed. There is short silence. Then, his snoring resumes. Melissa and Sarah cover their heads with their pillows. Exterior neighborhood day. The sun rises over the sleepy suburban neighborhood. Exterior school. Junior high school kids empty out of the school building and take up spots all over the yard for lunch. Sarah shuffles outside behind the other students. All the kids quickly take up the empty seats around the lunch court. Sarah approaches a table. Sarah, can I sit here? Student, sorry, it's taken. Sarah moves away from the other kids and finds a place to sit on a large rock. She pulls out her lunch and the small book. Sarah translates the next set of words. Taibsha, furanish. Sarah, to herself, spirit, welcome. Sarah's point of view. A boy, Spencer, is being harassed by a girl, Kate. Kate, she's gonna get ya. Spencer, quit it. Exterior, neighborhood day. Another storm brews overhead. A school bus drives down the road. A spattering of kids infest the neighborhood streets. Street corner. Sarah trails behind the other kids. Sarah passes a utility worker who works on a transformer across the street. A radio transmission comes in. Radio, off screen. We've got grid 7 and 8 to cover before the storm hits. Utility worker, into radio. Roger that. Hanging tree. Sarah walks up the hill towards her house. A group of kids, including Kate and Spencer, gather near the hanging tree. Spencer approaches the tree, alone. Spencer hesitates. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Um, he turns back. Kate, do it! Spencer, um, he hesitates. The other kids look at him. Kate, you said you're not afraid. Spencer, I'm not afraid. Kate picks up a handful of small rocks and throws them at Spencer. Kate, clucking. Bark, bark, bark. Spencer, stop it. Kate, bark, bark. Spencer, shut up. Sarah, off screen. I'll do it. The kids turn around to see Sarah standing by the edge of the street. Kate approaches Sarah and gives her a devilish smirk. Sarah returns the smirk with a cold stare of her own.
Sarah continues to Spencer. What do I have to do? Spencer. Um, you stand underneath the tree and say, Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from the tree. Sarah. The Ada Jones chant? Spencer. Yeah, it's stupid. You don't have to do this. Kate. Come on already. Sarah looks over. All the kids are staring at her. Sarah. What is it again? Ada, Ada, what do you see? Spencer. Yeah. Blood of the children. Sarah. Hanging from the tree? Spencer. Yeah. You need to say it three times. Kate. At least we know where you keep your balls, Spencer. Sarah gives Kate a stare, as if she wants to punch Kate in the face. Sarah walks past the kids and moves towards the hanging tree. A gust of wind blows through the branches. Sarah stands underneath the hanging tree. Sarah, softly to herself. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Again, she continues. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. One last time. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Sarah looks up underneath the hanging tree. Utility worker off screen. Hey! Back on street, Dylan, the teenage friend of Heather's, stands before the little kids. He looks as if he's aged 20 years. He is the utility worker. Dylan. Get out of there! Storm is coming and a branch could fall on you. The kids pick up their bags and take off running up the hill. Sarah walks past Dylan. Dylan stopping Sarah. You didn't say it, did you? Sarah, reluctantly. No. Dylan gives Sarah one last look before he jumps into the truck and drives away. Everyone is left, leaving Sarah all alone. Exterior house. Sarah walks up the hill towards her house. On truck. Dylan turns the truck around and slowly parks across the way from Sarah's house. Dylan watches as Sarah lifts up the welcome mat, grabs the house key, unlocks the door, and then hides the key back underneath the mat. Interior house day. Sarah enters the house. The alarm beeps. She punches in the code to disarm the alarm. She puts her backpack down on the wood floor. On Sarah's phone, Sarah's phone flashes red, showing the battery level is at 10%. Sarah's text. I'm home now. Cut to. Interior cubicle day. Bill's phone is off to the side of his desk. The phone lights up with the text from Sarah. He doesn't see it. It's on silent mode. On computer screen, Bill enters the search phrase, dead squirrels underneath tree. The search results return articles ranging from strange natural causes to one article about the occult. Back on cubicle. Todd, 26, a baby-faced, self-assured manager, walks into the cubicle area. Todd, to everyone. This is a reminder that district management will be here in 20. 20 people. 20. Todd leaves the area. On Bill. Bill clicks on the article about the occult. We see the sentence, Mysterious death of birds, rodents, and small animals sign that evil is breaching our realm. Bill looks puzzled. Back to Interior House Day. Sarah goes through the motions of being at home, alone. She turns on the TV to kill the silence that fills the house. She places her phone next to the nebulizer that is on the kitchen counter. She prepares a snack for herself. She sits on the couch watching TV and stuffing her face with all the wrong foods. Downstairs bonus room. Sarah waters the bonsai tree. 
she stops to take a look back at the door to the storage room. A low humming sound grows louder. We move into Sarah. The bonsai tree box overflows with water. It snaps Sarah out of her trance. Sarah, ah, ah. Living room. Sarah returns to the living room, drying off the water spots on her shirt. She plops down onto the couch and rummages through her backpack. On kitchen. We move past Sarah and focus on the kitchen behind her. We move towards the pantry door. It's closed. The sound of the TV can be heard in the background. Sarah pulls out the small book from her backpack. On book. The headline of the page reads, La Père Lays en Mob. Next to the headline, someone has written in the words, Speak with the Dead. Sarah pulls out a notebook from her backpack and begins to scribble symbols on the blank page. The book is open to a page of ancient symbols. On the other side of the page is an illustration showing a crystal hovering over the symbols. Kitchen. We move towards the pantry door. It remains closed. Back on Sarah. She pulls out the crystal from the pouch. She dangles the crystal over her makeshift drawings of the symbols. The crystal sways gently back and forth over the paper. Sarah, to herself. Grandma? On pantry door. The pantry door cracks open. On Sarah. We move into Sarah. She is transfixed onto the crystal. Sarah. I'm sorry. From over her shoulder, the pantry door continues to open wider. Out from the dark corner of the pantry, something begins to creep out. The pantry door slams shut. Sarah jumps. She turns to see where the noise came from. The sound of the TV is gone. The sound in the house is gone. The lights in the house are off. Silence. Sarah gets up. Kitchen. Sarah picks up her phone. It's dead. Her charging cable is next to the nebulizer. It's not plugged in. She plugs the nebulizer into the outlet and turns it on, but nothing happens. She tries to flick on a few light switches. Nothing. Silence. Sarah's point of view. She stares at the pantry door. Sarah opens it. It's completely dark inside. She reaches her hand in to turn on the light switch. Nothing. Exterior house. Sarah opens the front door and looks outside from the porch. The wind is whipping through the neighborhood. A storm is upon the neighborhood. No one is outside. No cars, no people. Nothing but the violent wind. Garage. Sarah enters the empty garage. The sound of the wind pounds against the outside door. Sarah scans the garage. She finds the breaker box. On breaker box. Sarah opens the panel and flips the main switch. Nothing. Sarah tries to open the garage doors. Nothing. Still, no power. Living room. Sarah returns back into the house. Silence. Then... Three successive wrenching noises can be heard coming from downstairs. Sarah freezes. Kitchen. Sarah rummages through the drawers and finds the flashlight. Stairway. Sarah turns the flashlight on at the top of the stairs. Sarah begins to creep down the stairs, then stops halfway. 
She runs back upstairs. She's terrified. Sarah stands by the front door, her hand on the doorknob. Sarah pulls away. She paces back and forth, almost in tears. Sarah turns the flashlight back on. She slowly descends the stairway. We move past Sarah as she walks down the stairs. Downstairs bonus room. The downstairs room is dark and empty. Silence. Sarah stands at the bottom of the stairs. She scans the room with the flashlight. Sarah steps further into the room to explore. Suddenly, her flashlight dies. She shakes it for a bit, then... Sarah jumps. The wrenching sound is hard to pinpoint. It sounds like it's coming from all over the house, almost as if it's in a distant tunnel. On downstairs bedroom door, the wrenching sound escalates like a guitar string about to snap. Then, a crippled old woman emerges from the bedroom. We move into Sarah. She's petrified. She can't scream. The old woman turns her head to look at Sarah. It's Sarah's grandmother, but a deformed, demonic version of her grandmother. Sarah gasps. <sighs> Sarah frantically darts up the stairs. We follow Sarah as she races upstairs to the front door. She tries to escape outside. She unlocks the latch, but it suddenly clicks back to the lock position. Sarah tries again. The deadbolt flips back to the lock position again. Again and again, Sarah frantically tries to get outside. Sarah's point of view. A shadow creeps up along the wall at the bottom of the staircase. Sarah takes off running. She bolts towards the other stairs that lead to the bedrooms on the third floor. Upstairs. We follow Sarah. She runs upstairs, bursts into her parents' room. She looks for a place to hide. She tries to crawl underneath the master bed, but she's too big. She scrambles, moves towards the walk-in closet. Sarah runs into the darkened closet. She slides underneath the clothes that hang on the bottom bar. She crams herself up against the wall, trying to hide her entire body from sight. She trembles with fear, clutching the dead flashlight to her chest. Her breathing becomes erratic. She fights to remain silent, but she can't catch her breath to calm down. Then, Sarah's point of view. A shadow creeps along the floor from the outside into the darkened walk-in closet. Sarah sucks in her breath. The sound of strained breathing grows louder. <laughs> Something blocks all the light coming in from the walk-in closet. Silence. The old woman bends down and howls at Sarah. Sarah is pulled out from underneath the hanging clothes. She fights to get away, crawling along the floor. She gets pulled back into the darkened closet. From out of the darkness, Ada towers over Sarah. A flash of white light. A loud screeching sound bellows through the house. Ada is gone. Sarah quickly crawls from out of the closet. She clutches her chest in pain. Sarah stumbles into the master bedroom and falls to the ground. She can't catch her breath. Sarah's point of view. Everything about her surroundings and the movement makes it look like she's in a dreamlike vortex. From out of the darkened closet, another figure emerges and approaches Sarah. It's a girl, the same age as Sarah. As the girl gets closer, it's Sarah, 
or a girl who looks like Sarah. <sighs> Sarah can hardly keep her breathing under control. The girl kneels down and places her hand on Sarah's chest. Sarah's breathing begins to settle. <sighs> Her asthma attack subsides. We pull back to reveal Sarah and Sarah catching her breath. Rose? Rose, a ghostly moan. Yes. Sarah takes in the moment. She begins to break down and cry. Interior hotel lobby day. The hotel lobby is loud and busy with people. We are clearly in real time and not in the dream vortex. Melissa, on phone. Hey! Interior cubicle. Bill, on phone. Yeah. Melissa. Have you heard from Sarah? She's not answering my texts or picking up when I call. Bill. She texted me that she got home safe. Melissa. Yes, I got that text too, but she isn't answering her phone. Bill. She never picks up her phone when we call. A woman approaches Melissa. We're meeting now. Melissa. Okay. Hey, would you please check in with Sarah and let me know what's going on? Bill. Okay. Bill hangs up with Melissa. Bill's text. Text me when you get this. Your mother is worried about you. Bob whips around the corner and enters Bill's cubicle. Bob. I have determined where we're hunting this weekend. Bill. Where? Bob. Your residence. Bill. My house? Bob. People have passed on there. There's a good probability that we can catch something. Bill. Melissa's not going to let us set up all of our equipment in the house. It's a no-go. Bob. I thought you might say that. Although I prefer to be in a warm dwelling, I devised a backup plan. The church. The one down the road from your house. Look. Bob jumps onto Bill's computer and types in a web search. On Bill's computer, a website entitled The Xena Church loads onto the screen. This is a church that Ada... Well, you know. Bill. Seriously? Bob. Look at this photograph. Bob enlarges an old photo taken during the pioneer days. The photo shows a group of children and parents standing outside the Xena church. Bob. There. On photo, Bob points to a frumpy girl in the background. She's the only one wearing a white mask. Bill. Is that? Bob. That's Ada. We move closer into the photo. Back on cubicle, Todd turns the corner. Todd. Hey, Tweedledee, Tweedledum, where's that slide dock? Bob. Sorry, sir, we are working on it. Todd. District management, you guys. Hello? They're here. Bob. Understood. We should be completed with the task. Bill. Soon. Bob. Soon. Todd. District manage. Bob interjects. Management. Yes, sir. Todd leaves, eyes rolling to the back of his head. Bill. Has some self-respect. Don't call that douche, sir. Bob. Agreed. Keep reading. I'll send you the segment I have on the slide. Bill. Okay. Back on Bill. He scrolls down the webpage. He clicks on another photograph. The caption reads, Ada Jones hanged. 1846. Bill looks closer at the tree in the photo. It's the same tree that is next to their house. Cut to interior master bedroom. Sarah is on her back, lying in the middle of the bedroom. She picks herself off the floor. She is no longer in the dream vortex. She grabs for her chest. Sarah, in pain. Rose. Silence. Sarah continues. Rose. From outside the bedroom, the sound of static hissing. Sarah's bedroom. Sarah sneaks her way across the hallway and back into her bedroom. Rose! Rose, are you there? Can you... Sarah! 
The ghost box. Sarah. Rose, is that you? Yes. Sarah tries not to break down in tears again. Ghost box continues. Inhaler. Sarah, what? Strength tied to your strength. Sarah, is this real? Inhaler. Sarah, was that grandma? Sarah continues. Did I do this? Sarah's breathing intensifies. Inhaler. The hissing sound disappears. Silence. Sarah tries turning different knobs. Nothing. Sarah sucks in air faster and faster. <sighs> Ghost box. Inhaler. Hallway. Sarah tries to control her breathing. The house is eerily quiet. Sarah clutches a ghost box to her chest. She peers over the railing. Stairs. Sarah makes her way to the stairs. She grabs at her chest, falls to her knees at the edge of the stairs, and hears. The faint sound of the creaking returns. Sarah, into the box. Did I do this? A faint hiss. The ghost box. Inhaler. The hiss disappears. Sarah buckles over from the pain in her chest. She grits her teeth and forces herself down the stairs. Living room. Sarah makes it to the bottom of the stairs. Her breathing is strained. Sarah pulls herself up using the bookshelf. Sarah's point of view. Peering through the window, Sarah sees a woman walking her dog down the street. But... From out behind the hanging tree, the distorted image of her possessed grandmother appears. Back on Sarah. Sarah slams her fist against the window. Sarah yelling, Hey! Hey! On possessed grandmother, who turns her head and shoots Sarah an evil smirk. Back on Sarah. She steps down away from the window, barely breathing. She finds a book weight. She's about to smash the window. The deformed grandmother pops up in front of the window. Sarah falls back. A white flash appears. The possessed grandmother disappears. Dream vortex. Rose appears again in some kind of dream vortex bubble. Rose, inhaler, now. On backpack, Sarah rummages through her backpack. She finds the inhaler. Back on Sarah, she quickly takes in two deep breaths. Sarah shakes the inhaler violently. It goes empty. Sarah falls back. Flashback, vortex, downstairs bedroom. In a sort of vortex ride, we see Sarah's grandmother in her bedroom. She opens the old chest and unfolds the cloth. The grandmother dangles the crystal over the cloth. A photograph of her husband is propped up against the corner of the cloth. Sarah's grandmother exhales cold vapor. She falls back as if something is possessing her. The vortex swishes upstairs to the dinner table. Sarah's grandmother sits with Melissa, Bill, and Sarah. Melissa, Mom, are you okay? Sarah's grandmother looks drained. Another vortex swish lands on. Sarah sits on the couch, thumbing through her phone. Bill and Melissa are leaving through the door to the garage. Melissa, Sarah, your grandmother isn't feeling well. Listen for her if she needs any help. Sarah is lost in her phone. Melissa, Sarah? Sarah, yes. Melissa, did you hear me? Sarah, yes. Vortex swirls down to... Sarah's grandmother folds the tattered cloth and hides it behind the flap in the old chest. She closes the chest, then goes to her bed. Sarah's grandmother lays down on her bed. 
she violently convulses. Flashback Vortex living room. Sarah sticks her earbuds into her ears. Downstairs bedroom. Ada appears at the end of Grandma's bed. Grandma tries to scream. Ada is upon her. She raises what looks like a large corkscrew to her neck. Flashback Vortex on old chest. We move towards the chest as we hear Grandmother's rapid breathing, silenced. Flashback Vortex living room. Rose stands over Sarah with her hand placed on Sarah's chest. Rose, drown the cloth. Free Grandma. Interior living room. Sarah awakens from the flashback vortex. She gasps for air. (sighs) She stands up. Her breathing is normal. Sarah, to herself. Drown the cloth. Free Grandma. Cut to interior office hallway. Bill walks down the hallway, his face stuffed with food. Bob, off screen. Psst. Bill looks over to see Bob poking his head out from the supply closet. Bob motions to Bill to come over. Bob grabs Bill and pulls him into the closet with him. Interior supply closet. Bill, food in mouth. Why are we in the closet? Bob, hiding from Todd. Bill, did you finish the slides? Bob, no, did you? Bill, no. Bill feeds Bob some of his fries. Bob, I discovered more information about Ada. The church was built facing away from the rising sun. Bill, what does that mean? Bob, devil worshippers. Ada was a child of devil worshippers. She was born with deformities. That's why they made her wear a mask. There's a commotion outside of the closet. Bill motions to Bob to be silent. Bill cracks the door open. Bill's point of view. Todd is making the rounds for the office. Todd, district is going into their second rounds of meetings? Fitzgerald, I need a change to those quarterly reports. Yeah, yeah, now. Bill closes the door. He feeds Bob some more fries. Bob, Ada was hanged because she murdered 13 children in the church. She locked them in and executed them with an auger drill. Bob shows Bill a photo on his phone. On photo. It's a wooden-handled auger drill. It looks like a large corkscrew. Bob, there's high probability there's activity at the church. This is it. This could be the place where we finally get real evidence of the paranormal. And it's right in your backyard. Bill, why children? Bob, some think it was a sacrifice to the demon god Moloch? Bob hands his phone to Bill. On Bob's phone, an illustration of a monstrous beast with a bull's head stands over a pit where babies are burning before its feet. Bob, the blood was drained from the necks of the children to create a symbol, a ritualistic symbol to appease Moloch. Now that Ada is a vengeful spirit, she looks for more children to sacrifice in the other world for her god. Bill, Jesus. Bob, no, Moloch. Bill, reading phone. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Bill takes a moment to himself. I gotta go. Interior office hallway. Bill steps out of the closet. Bill's text. Call me right now. We're getting worried. Back to interior garage. Sarah opens the door to the garage. She grabs her dad's bag of ghost hunting gear and empties the contents onto the floor. As she rummages through the pile of equipment, the thermal camera slides across the floor to Sarah's knees. Sarah picks up the thermal camera and turns it on. She points the camera in the direction where it was slid to her. Thermal camera. An image of a girl is seen in the camera. 
back on Sarah. She sees nothing when she looks up from the camera. We move in closer to Sarah as she closes her eyes. She calms herself. Then she opens her eyes. Sarah's point of view. In a dreamlike vortex, Sarah can see Rose standing before her. Sarah, get the cloth and drown it in water? Rose, yes. Grandma unknowingly invited it in. You need to break the bond that ties them together. Sarah, but Grandma won't come back to life. Rose, no. But you will release her soul from its hold. Sarah, okay. Sarah tries to keep her breathing steady. Rose, my strength is tied to your strength. Control your breathing for the both of us. Stairs. Sarah stands at the top of the stairs that look into the downstairs room. She turns and tries to unlock the deadbolt to the front door one more time. It quickly snaps back into the locked position. Sarah, why can't I leave? Sarah's point of view, in the dreamlike vortex, Rose stands next to Sarah. Rose, you said the chant. Back on Sarah. She gathers herself. Sarah extends the thermal camera outwards, scanning the stairs. Downstairs bonus room. Sarah makes it to the bottom of the stairs. She places her hand on the doorknob to the storage room. A faint moaning sound can be heard coming from the downstairs bedroom. Flashback. Sarah approaches the downstairs bedroom door. Cut to. Interior cubicle. Bill is at his desk, working on the slide. Bob comes around the corner with Todd following behind. Todd, I really need that. Bob, to Todd. Not now, Todd. Todd, excuse me? Bob, holding up a finger. Todd? Bob raises his finger higher. Todd leaves. Bill, did you just... Bob, you've got to see this. Bob pushes Bill's side and jumps on his computer. Bob continues, I did some more digging and it led me to this website on autopsies. Look at this. Bob turns the monitor towards Bill. Bill, Todd is going to have your balls. What are you doing? I don't want to see this. Bob, look. I'll monitor. Bill scrolls down to see photos of a teenage girl on a medical table. The girl is white as a ghost, with her veins stretched all along her body. Her eyes are wide open in terror. It's Heather. Bob, look at her neck. The report indicates it was a large puncture wound, but no blood was found at the scene. A large puncture wound possibly made by a drill. We move closer to Bill. Flash to interior flashback night. Sarah enters the bedroom. We move past her and turn onto the bed. Sarah looks onto the bed, her eyes widen. We push past Sarah and onto her grandmother. Her grandmother's eyes are wide open in terror. Grandma is white as a ghost with all her veins stretched across her face. We move in closer to her neck. A large puncture wound is clearly visible. Back to cubicle. We move into Bill. Bill's voiceover. It's called rigor mortis. Dog owner. What's that now? Two deaths within a year? You know what they say, it always comes in threes. Bill stands up. He grabs his car keys. Bill, I gotta go. Bob. Isn't that how your mother-in-law died? Bill. Yeah. Bill takes off down the hallway. Todd approaches him. Todd. Where do you think you're going? Bob. Not now, Todd. 
Bill, I'm sorry, I've got to go. Todd looks back at Bob, who stares him down with a hard look. Todd, meekly. Okay, but district... Bob, I'll take care of it, Todd. To Bill. Go! Back to interior downstairs room. Sarah snaps out of her flashback trance. The creaking sound returns. Storage room. Sarah opens the door to the storage room. It's dark. Pitch black. Sarah tries to prop the door open with a chair to keep what faint light there is from the outside to beam into the darkened room. Sarah proceeds to the back of the room to get the old chest. Just as she grabs hold of the old chest, the chair holding the open door falls over, slamming the door shut. Sarah is in complete darkness. Cut to exterior road day. Bill races across town. Bill swerves in and out of traffic. He speed dials Sarah. The phone rings and rings, nothing. Bill, damn it! Bill slams on his brakes. Exterior church, Bill skids to a stop and pulls off to the side of the road. The Zena church sits atop the hillside. Bill steps outside of his car. We move into Bill. He shakes off the moment and jumps back into his car. He speeds off back down the road. We move closer onto the church. Back to storage room. Sarah remains in complete darkness. Her breathing intensifies. In the dark, Sarah fumbles to turn on the thermal camera. On thermal camera, Sarah scans the storage room. On Sarah, the light from the thermal LCD shines on Sarah's face. Sarah turns the camera around to find the old chest. Sarah frantically opens the old chest and pulls at the flap. It gives way. Sarah removes the tattered cloth. She unfolds the cloth. It contains all the strange symbols from her vision. On door. An unlocking sound can be heard, but the door remains closed. We move into Sarah. Her breathing shortens up. Sarah points the thermal camera towards the door. A heat blob appears. Sarah, barely audible. Rose! The heat blob transforms into a figure. Sarah shaking. Rose! The heat image is taken full form. It's the outline image of Ada. Suddenly, a flash of white light. The door to the storage room flings open. Light floods the room. A dark figure rushes towards Sarah. Dylan, are you alright? Sarah, ah! Dylan, come on! Downstairs room. Dylan helps Sarah out from the storage room. She clutches the cloth to her side. Dylan tries to rush Sarah up the stairs. Sarah's point of view. At the top of the stairs stands the demonic grandma. Back on Sarah and Dylan. Dylan, what? Why are you stopping? Sarah, you don't see her? Dylan, see who? Sarah breaks away from Dylan and turns towards the bathroom. Sarah, I've got to drown this. Sarah makes a move to the bathroom when suddenly the demonic grandma steps out from the bedroom. Sarah stops in her tracks. Dylan, do you see her again? Sarah, 
Yes. Dylan, did you say the chant? Sarah doesn't answer. Dylan, insisting. Did you say the chant? Sarah, yes. Dylan, where do you see her? Sarah, she's standing in front of the bedroom. Dylan spots the bonsai tree. Dylan grabs a small tree and holds it over his head. Dylan, Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Sarah looks back at him. Dylan continues. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. The demonic grandma approaches Sarah and Dylan. Dylan, one last time. Ada, Ada, what do you see? Blood of the children hanging from this tree. Dylan puts the small tree down. Sarah, do you see her? Dylan, no. Holy shit! The demonic grandma appears before Dylan and hisses at him. (laughs) Dylan, is that Ada? Sarah, it's my grandmother. She's been possessed by Ada. I need to drown this cloth to release her. (laughs) Dylan pulls out a wrench from his tool belt. Then get ready to run! Sarah darts towards the bathroom. Dylan lunges towards the possessed grandmother, swinging his wrench at her. Sarah ducks into the bathroom and frantically turns the water on in the sink. Dylan gets knocked to the floor. The demonic old woman is upon him. He struggles to fight her off. Back in the bathroom, Sarah pulls the drain plug upwards and stuffs the cloth into the basin. The water completely submerges the tattered cloth. Sarah turns back to see a dark cloud of smoke ripping itself off from the old woman and evaporating into the air. A flash of white light. The once demonic appearance of Sarah's grandmother is gone. A faintly white apparition of Sarah's grandmother appears before them. The ghostly image of grandma turns to look at Sarah. She smiles slightly before vanishing in a wisp of white. Dylan sits up. Dylan, is that it? She gone? Sarah, relieved. (laughs) I think so. Dylan, that was some crazy... Suddenly, from behind him, Ada in the white doll mask slams her auger drill into Dylan's neck. Sarah, No! Dylan falls to the floor. His body is drained of life, his veins protruding from his skin. A large hole appears on the side of his neck. We move into Sarah. Her breathing accelerates. (laughs) Ada stands. She moves towards Sarah. Sarah slams the bathroom door shut. Ada blasts through the door, knocks Sarah onto the floor. Ada slams her hand over Sarah's mouth. Sarah fights and fights. She can't free herself from Ada. Then, Sarah's breathing stops. Exterior darkened forest vortex. Sarah awakens to find herself on the wet soil of the darkened forest. She picks herself up off the ground. Ungodly sounds creep from the edge of the forest towards Sarah. From behind her, the Black Void creeps up. On Black Void, part of the Black Void engulfs Sarah's arm. Sarah struggles to free herself from its grasp. She lunges forward and falls to the ground. The Black Void creeps towards her feet. On Sarah, she runs up the trail, moving away from the Black Void. The forest is deathly quiet. Sarah moves quickly, but with caution. The trees begin to move in on her. Suddenly, demonic, grotesque version of her grandmother pops out from behind one of the trees. Grandmother, why do you get to live? On Sarah, she falls back again, barely missing her head, getting sucked into the black mass that follows her. 
the demonic version of her grandmother has vanished. Sarah's point of view. Up ahead of the trail are two faint figures. Melissa. Sarah, hurry! Bill. Come on, Sarah, hurry! Sarah starts running up the trail. The trees seem to move in closer, obscuring her sight. Sarah fights to get through the thick brush. As she pulls off the branches, a gray, haggard hand grabs her arm. It's Heather, a ghostly, demonic version of Heather. Heather scowls at Sarah. Another gruesome hand grabs Sarah's other arm. It's the lifeless soul of Dylan. Dylan, what do you get to live? Sarah, screaming. Sarah breaks their hold. She pushes past a thick brush and stumbles onto the clearing. Melissa, Sarah! Sarah looks up to see her parents down the path. On Sarah, she takes a step forward, then drops to one knee. She clenches her chest. Her breathing intensifies. She begins to wheeze, then gasps. She can't catch her breath. She stretches her arm out towards her parents. Sarah, Dad! Sarah's point of view. Her parents reach out to Sarah, then vanish. Sarah. The small church comes into view. The doors open from the church. Very slowly, Ada steps out. Ada lumbers down the trail. She makes her way towards Sarah. Back on trail, Sarah fights to stand up. She turns and stumbles down the trail, moving away from Ada, who is coming up behind her. Sarah moves faster, towards the black void. Ada barrels down behind Sarah. Sarah gets closer to the black void. Suddenly, Rose appears before Sarah. Rose's eyes are black as night. Rose, demonic. Why do you get to live? Sarah stops. Ada is upon her. Sarah, angrily. Sarah pushes the demonic Rose into the black void. The black mass engulfs Sarah's arms. It pulls her into the void. Sarah breathes heavily. Sarah's face is barely visible in the blackness. Then, her breathing slows down. She takes in a long, deep breath. She is calm. Sarah, softly. Rose. A small glow of light emits from Sarah's hands. Sarah continues. You will always be with me. The glow intensifies. Bathroom. Sarah gasps for air and awakens. Bill hovers over her. His hands are crossed in a CPR position. Bill. Sarah! He pulls her up. Bill continued. Distraught. Oh my god. Sarah embraces her father. Sarah's point of view. Ada appears from the back part of the room. Ada moves in behind Bill. Ada raises the auger drill. She's about to strike it down into Bill's neck. Sarah. No! Sarah throws her hands out at Ada. A white flash shoots from Sarah's hands, past Bill's head, and stops Ada from moving forward. Sarah stands up. Bill. What the? Ada struggles to move forward. Sarah. Do you see her? Bill nods, dumbfounded. Sarah keeps her hand raised. We move to the side of Sarah to reveal Rose standing by her side. Rose's hand is stretched out towards Ada as well. Sarah and Rose to Ada. You don't don't belong belong here. here. Ada tries to move towards the twins. 
The twins continue to hold the white light on Ada. We move on to Ada. From out of her, ghostly images of children begin to appear. One by one, these ghostly apparitions are swept up into the air. Thirteen ghostly children are released from Ada. Back on Sarah and Rose. The twins continue to hold Ada back with a white light. On Ada, two more ghostly images appear from Ada. It's Heather and Dylan. Heather and Dylan give the twins a peaceful look, then vanish up into the air. Ada fights to make one more move towards the twins. The twins rear back their hands and send one more blast of light into Ada. Flash of white fills the room. Ada vanishes. Silence. On Bill. Bill can't move right away. Then he looks down to see Dylan's lifeless body on the floor of his house. Sarah and Rose. The sisters turn back towards their dad. The lights turn back on. Rose gently disappears as Sarah kneels down beside her dad. Bill gives Sarah a bewildered look. She wraps her arms around her dad, giving him one huge embrace. Bill. Was that... Sarah. Yes. We pull back from Sarah and Bill. Dissolve to... Exterior neighborhood day. Yellow school buses drive along the neighborhood streets. Kids flood the neighborhood carrying backpacks and lunchboxes. Sarah walks with Spencer. She holds herself more confidently. Spencer, are you going to go to another school? Sarah, no, I'm sorry. You're still stuck with me. Spencer laughs. (laughs) Sarah continues. We're just moving down the street and renting out our house in the meantime. Hanging tree. Up ahead, Kate berates Cole. Kate, I double dog dare you. Cole, I don't want to do it. Kate, bonk, bonk, bonk. Back on Sarah and Spencer. Spencer, I hate that girl. I'm going to take a detour. Sarah, go ahead. I've got this. Spencer turns the corner to go down the street, leaving Sarah alone, watching Kate. Back on Kate. Kate, walk, walk. On Sarah, she turns her head slightly and whispers into the thin air. I want you to do me a favor and smack over. On Kate, suddenly, a branch from the ground whacks Kate in the leg. Kate jumps. She looks back, sees nothing. Another branch whacks her on the other leg. Kate jumps again. Cole, looking back at Kate, what's wrong with you? Kate spins around and sees Sarah. Kate's point of view. Sarah smirks. Back on Kate. The back of Kate's hair begins to rise up. Kate screaming, Kate takes off running up the hill. Cole looks back at Sarah. Sarah shrugs. Cole shakes his head. Back on Sarah. She turns her head slightly to whisper, Thanks, sis. Neighborhood. We pull back from Sarah and onto the hanging tree. We can hear the faint chanting of children. Children off screen. Ada, Ada, what do you see? What are the children hanging from this tree? Fade to black. <laughs>